Do you need to often have enough pain to motivate you to change? Mm. And then the want to needs to turn into a must. I want to change, I need to change, I'm something must change. Mm. Who must change? I must change. You are listening to the Synergy Women podcast, brought to you by women's resilience coach, Nikki Hamilton. Nikki offers expertise in women's health and has an inspiring passion for helping women navigate through grief and life's challenges to help transform and build resilience with grace, courage, and authenticity. Each episode, she will explore an aspect of women's health, offering you insights on ways to build your body, your mind, and your heart health to help you rise up with resilience. In this episode, we will explore mind health for women. As a mindfulness meditation teacher and a Demartini facilitator, Nikki loves helping women with their mind health. So welcome everybody and thanks very much for joining us here at the Synergy Women podcast and today we're going to be exploring mind health and uh, having a chat about um, meditation and the benefits of meditation and with me today here uh, I've got Michael Daly. Uh, So Michael Daly describes himself as a cat with nine lives. Uh, He's lived in many different worlds from the previous life in criminal law and then working as a marketing manager in London before having a sudden shift in priorities. For the past 20 years, Michael has been a meditation and yoga teacher and trainer. He has run three busy yoga studios, written and taught over 10,000 hours of vocational training in yoga and meditation, as well as facilitated over 65 retreats in Australia and internationally. He has turned a deep passion to help people into a million dollar business and now supports others to do the same. Alongside this work, Michael runs a hypnotherapy and coaching business where he helps people move through anxieties and traumas and toward greater successes in life. He's a published author and has appeared on numerous magazines and runs his own podcast called Being Yoga. So welcome, Michael. Thanks very much for joining us. Really nice to have you on board here and uh, sharing some of your great wisdom with us here today. It's a pleasure to be here and thanks for having me on your podcast. Oh, thanks. So um, if we're talking about meditation, I'd probably like to start by asking what uh, prompted you through your meditation journey and what, what, what was your journey to begin your meditation mm. practice? Yeah, I think for me, and it's common for a lot of people I know who have really sort of stuck with meditation over the years that the starting point for meditation for me was some pain. I was going through a tough time in my life. And um, when it really started to stick for me, meditation was I was at a time in life where things just fell apart, basically relationship, work, career, money, health. And I remember I was living in London at the time and I remember having this single thought everything I'd worked toward at that time seemed like it had just disappeared for me, been taken away and everything felt really impermanent. And I just didn't know where I was ever going to truly find happiness or like just a real sense of purpose in my life again, because I'd done everything to get that and it had suddenly disappeared. And I thought I could just do this again for the next 10 years. and It's just going to disappear again because everything seemed really I don't know, just changing and impermanent. Mm. I know that sounds a bit depressive and it probably was at the time, but I remember thinking to myself, if everything's changing so much and I'm in so much pain from this constant changing emptiness, impermanence, what if I just get really still? And that was really what started it all for me. It was just this, I guess, this rational thinking. 
could I find something in myself that was more real or more enduring or more lasting on the other side of all this change? And I thought, what if I just every day sit down and just stop all the doing, chasing, running for all the happiness and the success and the joy and the pleasure and just what would happen if I just get still? And so that was the starting point for me. It was out of a real pain, I guess. Mm. And a sort of an existential pain of, you know, what's it all about? Mm. That I just went, I'm just going to stop, get still, and just see. It was just a question. I didn't read any books. I didn't listen to anyone. I said, what happens if I just get really still? Is there a part of my mind, my body, my heart, my myself that's not stuck in this endless cycle of change and turmoil? And within about a month doing that, something started to shift for me and it kind of lit a path that I could never have expected where it was going to go. Mm. And I guess it's probably a familiar journey for a lot of people who have started a meditation practice that's stuck with them is it's very commonly a crisis. And I'm not sure why that is, why we need to go through a crisis to suddenly realize, you know what, my mind health or my heart health are actually really important things. We run around... um, chasing career or work or finance whatever it is but and we forget the importance of the simplicity or the simple things in life uh, such as the health of our mind our heart our spirit Uh, and sometimes it's a crisis that kind of uh, slaps us in the face and says do you know what we actually really need to uh, incorporate this practice as part of our health Mm, i know the um I mean, the the basic starting of Buddhism was the exact same thing, the reflection on um, pain and illness and suffering. Mm. And I mean, that's the first truth of Buddhism is that life is a little bit unrewarding underneath it all. And is there a way to actually find that deeper sense of reward and resilience so that whatever you do do in life is kind of flavored with that. Mm. I don't think it has to be from pain, but a a lot of people sort of are motivated by wanting to find answers to something that's not going right. And it's a powerful motivation. Yeah, it's a trigger, I guess, that starts the the journey. Mm. Um, And so when you first started your practice, did you have a teacher? What was your, what, what happened to you? Yes, yeah, so when I describe myself as a cat with nine lives, it's also been a uh, maybe a cat with many, many different teachers and paths on this journey because I was somebody who just reached out and, and looked in a lot of different directions for answers. And the first direction was just internally, as I said, get still and, and see what's inside me. And then I, I, I ended up for the next 10 years just running around the world, basically seeking out teachers and gurus and mentors and doing endless long retreats and going to the Himalayas and sitting with wow. enlightened yogis and being in London, I remember, with this, um, this Indian yogi and, and being touched on the head with peacock feathers and having <laughs> mystical initiations. And I basically did everything. And then what I say to my students on the first day of any training is that after having done all that, having done all the hard legwork for you, most of the promises you get are pretty empty, <laughs> I think. Yeah, yeah. And that the real path of meditation is really just in the willingness to be with yourself and mm-hmm. find a sort of comfort and an ease in yourself. And you don't need anyone to teach you how to do that it's just a matter and a willingness to actually do it Mm. 
So if you've had multiple teachers and um, ceremonies involving peacock feathers and all sorts, <laughs> um, can you just describe, I guess, uh, I've read that there's lots of different types of meditation. So can you describe uh, to, to, to people who have never tried meditation, what different types of meditation are there? Um, hmm. Just so we know a little bit more about that. Yeah, great. So you can break it up into, so let's say, let's say four or five categories to give an overview of these different paths. The one most people would be aware of today is mindfulness. It's mm. become massive since the 70s, so much research about it. And so mindfulness is a practice of really being more engaged just with what's happening here and now. So it's about you know attending to your present reality, noticing what's going on, coming up for you, and just being a little bit more here rather than stuck in the past and future. Then there's a practice which we could loop in under intentional meditation. And intentional meditation is more about the future. And it could be more about setting your mind in a certain place for what you'd like to achieve. Mm -hmm. So, for example, a sports person would do intentional meditation to say visualize the outcome of the event. Oh, yeah. Or if you've watched something like The Secret, you're putting sort of thoughts and ideas in your mind and emotions and feelings. What do I want to get to what do I want to get out of my life and I start to create that in my mind now or affirmations things like that another type of uh, meditation would be self-inquiry so that would be more say looking into the past and you might be asking questions about for example an emotion that's coming up and what's the nature of that emotion what's that all about where did that come from mm. what do I need to do with that or self-inquiry might be the question who am I what is my life about? What's the purpose? Uh, so that that's kind of asking questions. It's not so much about being in the present. It's about understanding the nature of things. Mm -hmm. So it's asking questions. It's contemplating. So meditation for a lot of people, they think just sit down, observe your breathing. But there's all these different paths. Mm -hmm. Another type is energetic meditation, uh, kundalini meditations, which is instead of just using your mind to focus, you use energy. You use your body. So an energetic meditation that a lot of ladies love to do especially is moving type meditations, which is why yoga is so popular, or shaking or even dancing. Mm. They can be meditations, breath practices. They can be things that stir and change your energy. And when you change your energy, like you know, for example, if you change your breathing, your mind changes. Mm. So when you transform your energy, your mind will transform. So these are just a few different styles. They have very different um, aims, I guess. One is about presence. One is about the future. One is about the path, past. And one's more about using energy to change your mind. It has a different practice. And what I like to do with my teaching is basically blend all of those mm. into a path so that you do a little bit of each in a practice, say in 10 or 20 minutes. It'll give you a, an outcome and make it easier to do. Mm. And so do you think... Uh, there's one method that's better than another or do you think that it's more that you use different techniques at different times for different reasons? Yeah, that's such a great question and, and you'd be aware that like you've probably got different affinities and are drawn to things differently mm. than me. Like if we discuss movies we like, you, you might like a certain type of movie yeah. and I might like a... I might like a, a drama or an adventure movie. You might, I don't know, you might science like a fiction, I science say. fiction. <laughs> Some people might like a rom-com. So we're, we're drawn to different things. And yeah. it's important to, I think, I say to people initially, like a, like a little bee that lands on a lot of flowers and is going to get pollen from different flowers, go and land on different 
practices initially and find out what works for you and what you're drawn to. And then what I recommend for people is it's like the analogy of digging for water. And if you dig a well and you dig 10 feet down and you don't get water, you give up and you go and dig another well. Mm. You give up, you go and dig another well, you give up. And at the end of the day, what have you got? You've got 20 wells, no water. Mm. But if you just stay with the one well and keep digging 20 times over, you'll eventually get water. So it's this idea that for a lot of people, the challenge today is that there's so many different styles, so many different apps, so many different lead practices, Mm -hmm. and that people can be like the little bee jumping around all the time, but that you might never actually get to the depths and get water. And so we know that if we're training your brain up, if you want to train a pattern in your brain, they've done tests on people learning the piano, and they gave one group just just play the piano for a month and you just do whatever you want. And then they got another group to learn scales and chords. They got another group actually then to just visualize doing that. Mm. And the group that just played anything they wanted, they didn't show any change in their brain after a month. Mm. But the group that were playing the scales and the chords and having a structure and a process, their brain actually changed within mm. a month. So that's that analogy of keeping on digging in one place, you will actually eventually start to entrain the neural chemistry and um, hardware in your brain so that the next time you go and sit down to meditate, you'll start to get the result a lot quicker rather than just jumping around to a lot of different things. So it's helpful to taste different practices and styles and then go, what do I need? What practice is going to lead me there? And then to actually commit to it for at least eight weeks. Mm, okay, so I guess it's not that one's more beneficial than another. It's it's more personal preference and then making sure that you actually uh, commit to the practice in order to make the gains that you'd like in you, a way. That's my initial suggestion for yes. a lot of people is to find something that resonates for you that's going to give you an initial reward and stay with it. However, it's not to say that there aren't practices that have different benefits. Yes. So then once you've got a, what I suggest to people is a core practice, something that is going to be your rock. I give the analogy of in meditation, you want to feel almost like a, a big boulder in the rapids. And you, you just want to find that rock of stabilities, a practice you can return to again and again and again. And the, the rapids and the crazy river of life can just wash over you. And yet in yourself, you have that center that no one can ever steal. Once you've found that through a a practice that really delivers you that, then start going and tasting the other fruits because there are other benefits. Like, for example, for me, I love stillness. I love just getting still and being in, in a connection with myself every day. But then some days I will work on intentional meditation and really go, what are my goals? Where do I want to be? And set that. Other times there's emotions and dramas coming up. I want to go into that and learn the types of meditation that will help me uncover and unravel. So there's different fruits to eat, but you want to also be the trunk of the tree, be that stability. Okay. And so for um, someone who's never tried meditation, um, I guess an interesting question to know would be, what is it that you're actually doing in your meditation? So... But for a lot of people, I think there's the assumption that is, okay, I need to sit down and just empty my mind and just don't think about anything. Uh, And uh, I know from my own experience in meditation that that's actually uh, 
pretty much impossible. <laughs> um, and it actually puts a lot of people off. I think, well, I can't do that because I can't just empty my brain. So what is it, um, if you can describe, what is it that you're actually doing or perceiving or experiencing during your meditation practice? And the next part of the question is, can you really shut off your mind? Is that possible? Great questions. Get it all the time when you're <laughs> teaching people. And I'll always ask people on the first session, you know, what have you come here for? What's your why? And so many people, I just want to shut off my mind. And so yeah. it's an okay intention because we are living with crazy heads and stress. And it's, 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 it's not that it's a wrong intention. It's just maybe we want to identify with what the practice can really give to us. And, and it can in some ways achieve that aim, but not the way people think it's going to. So if you give me a minute or two, I'll try and qualify yeah, that. Yeah. Let's, let's talk about mindfulness first, because that's the, that's the practice a lot of people are doing these days. And, and the easiest way I get people to think about mindfulness is from a quote from John Kabat-Zinn, who's a doctor who really founded the modern mindfulness movement in the 70s through a lot of research and practice. And, and he said this, he said, mindfulness is a particular way of using your mind on purpose, in the present moment and without judgment. Mm. So those three points, if you remember this and forget everything else I say today, remember these three points and you'll have success in your meditation. On purpose, in the present moment and without judgment. So on purpose basically means you make a choice. So do you want to keep focusing on all the thoughts in your mind or do you want to make a choice to focus on something else? So it's not that the thoughts will suddenly go away. It's the power of on purpose, you make a choice. So what choice do you want? Do you want to go on living with all the stories and dramas and stuff in your head? Or for just this moment, do you want to make a choice to deflect your attention to something else? And that could be your breath or sensations or a mantra, whatever. But you're just choosing, you're noticing the thoughts. And instead of getting annoyed and going, I want to switch all this off, I'm just going to choose for this moment to shift my attention to something else. And generally, I'm going to shift from a, a thinking to a feeling or a sensory predicate, we call it. So uh, sensations, feelings, breath, um, sound, something that shifts you out of that cognitive thinking process. Then the next thing is I make a choice in the present moment. So what is happening in the present moment? Generally, most people's thoughts aren't about the present moment. It's about something that happened yesterday or worrying about something tomorrow. So if you think about presence, your thinking is normally not about the present. So if you want to deflect your attention from thinking, you want to give your attention to something that is actually happening here. Mm -hmm. And what's actually happening here is just the flow of your senses. So that the sounds, the sensations, the smells, the taste, the touches, the sense of your body, whatever's just here. So I make a choice to become present. And what becoming present is, is just what the flow of the present moment is delivering to you. And then the question goes, well, what do I do once I become present? The last part of that equation is I do it without judgment. So mindfulness is training to make a choice to either be stuck in your thoughts forever or to just for now deflect your attention to something that's coming up in the present, your senses. And then what do I do? Well, I do it without judgment. I train my mind up to listen to that sound and let it just be a sound, neither good nor bad. I train my mind up to notice the sensation in my body and let it just be a sensation without the story in my head, good or bad. 
oh, that pain in my neck and oh, I'm so annoyed and angry. The boss has been at me all day and it's been nagging at me and I just got this headache and it's all their fault. Mm -hmm. So when you notice that, just give your attention to the sensation and without judgment, just let it be held in your awareness. Mm -hmm. So that kind of is the practice of mindfulness. You don't shut off the thoughts, but you start to train your brain up to not be so lost in them. Mm -hmm. And that's a freaking challenge for a lot of people but i'll say one last thing about that is we say is it possible to switch off your thoughts well just very quickly it really helped me to understand the brain and there are these different networks in your brain most of us are stuck in what's called the default mode network of the brain and what that basically means is it's just our default mode it's what our brain is in when we're just kind of say relaxing or resting or living our life And the default mode is your survival mode. And in that, you're constantly ruminating about the past and future. Studies on meditation have shown that when you do that process I just described, you'll retrain your brain to be in what's called the salience network. And the salience network is a different part of your brain. It's generally a little bit less centered. It's more lateral. And it's a little bit more to the right of your brain. And what that means is you drop into a state of nowness or wholeness, where you're experiencing, I guess, a sense of the whole rather than stuck in that part. Mm -hmm. And the more you train your brain up to be in that kind of spatial, relaxed, open state, you start to learn to shift from this default mode to the salience mode, and then that starts to actually change everything. Mm. So it's almost like you, you, you shift from constantly being stuck in ruminating over your thoughts and not being able to shift your attention anywhere else to then being able to say look I'm I know that thought's happening I'm aware of it but I'm now also aware of my breath I'm also aware of my body sensations and I can choose to um, place my attention on any one of these things and remain there and just observe it without judgment and just allow it to be as it is so as a result it's not like you're switching your brain off but you're just changing what you focus on and learning to be able to do that uh, consistently can then change and, and assist in, in the brain, I guess. Is that what you're suggesting? Mm. Mm. And when you look at the brain, in a sense, you can say, I'm not switching the brain off, but another turn of phrase is I'm actually switching channels. Yeah. So mm. I'm living in a certain channel, like I'm stuck on channel nine on the TV for my entire life. Imagine that, how ter- terrible <laughs> that would be. And then suddenly I realize I've got other options and I can pick up the remote and change. Don't go away, we've got more Synergy Women coming up, but first, let's take a quick break. Would you like to learn more about mindfulness meditation but you are not sure where to start? Our online course offers you a step-by-step, easy-to-follow guide to build your mindfulness meditation practice. It also contains practical tools that you can start using today to reduce your stress, plus some physiotherapy tips for pain management. Check out our website www.synergyphysio.com.au So people often ask me, what have you got after 20 years of meditation and well over 10,000 hours of sitting on a cushion with a sore butt and doing my practice every single day for 20 years, long retreats, et cetera, et cetera. What have you got? Have the thoughts gone away? And I say, absolutely not. Mm -hmm. I don't want a mind without thoughts. Thoughts are beautiful. Thoughts are creative. Thoughts are wonderful. But what I have developed, if you imagine around all the thoughts, is more of a sky-like awareness. Mm. 
So my mind for much of my day now is more like the sky. It's vast, it's expansive, and it includes and contains all the different colors and textures of clouds. Mm -hmm. Some days they're storm clouds and they're terrible. And some days they're those little beautiful wispy clouds that are like pastels in the Mm -hmm. sky. But around all of it is this sky-like peacefulness and an awareness and a calm, a natural presence that I don't need to let the clouds dominate who I am. They no longer define me. The sky-like peacefulness defines me more because that's, I think, who we are underneath it all. So it's more like a, almost like a broadening of your awareness rather than a narrowing down in in some, you know, I guess in some ways. Mm. Um, And I like that TV analogy as well because the thought of being stuck on one channel, um, you can elect to change channels. It doesn't mean that old channels disappeared. It's still there in the background somewhere, but you've uh, made an intentional choice as to where you want to pay your attention. So I like that uh, TV analysis or analogy, sorry. Um, The the next question that I then had to ask, I guess, thinking more about um, brain health is um, I know there's been a lot of research over the years as to the benefits of mindfulness meditation. Uh, Can you share some of the benefits um, that you know of Mm. for brain health or mind health or physical health? Yeah. Look, the benefits, it's just off the charts. And I'll often say to my students uh, that we often come to a practice of meditation to think about, you know, shutting off your mind or, or mental benefits. But I make a big claim and I say meditation is probably one of the best things you can do for your physical health. And for me, I would rather skip a meal than skip a day of meditation. When you really study the benefits, it is extraordinary what it does. So we all know about stress and the stress response and what it does to the body. In fact, it's estimated that up to 85% of all deaths are stress-related illnesses, Mm. cardiovascular disease, um, you know, diabetes even, um, even they're looking at things like Alzheimer's. All these patterns relate to a key indicator of inflammation. Mm. And when our body's in stress, we're in a state of inflammation. Inflammation leads to so many problems. And what we know meditation does is it reverses every single marker of the stress response within within the first sitting, but it becomes cumulative. So over six to eight weeks, you will retrain your stress response. And that means that you will start digesting food better. Every second person I know has digestive problems these days. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it's stress related. You'll restore blood pressure levels to normal. I get so many people off blood pressure meds within no time through meditation. Your heart rate can slow, your breath rate can slow. There have been studies done on um, melatonin levels, and melatonin is what helps us sleep at night. One in two people these days have some form of insomnia, just not getting good sleep. And all the sleep research says that poor sleep equals poor health Mm -hmm. and probably a shortened life. Mm And, um, and what meditation does is it studies have shown that within four to six weeks, it will almost reverse melatonin levels to be higher than they ever were. So you can almost guarantee getting a better quality of sleep. Now, we can't say that, you know, lower levels of, say, um, melatonin causes certain cancers, but we can, we can say from research that people with prostate and breast cancer, which is the highest forms of cancer in men and women, have shown to have lower levels of melatonin, which is one of your body's natural antioxidants. So when you're meditating regularly, you're boosting one of your body's natural antioxidants 
and you're just sleeping better and feeling better. Other things that have found DHEA levels, which is a natural antiviral, it increases rapidly. It drains when we get older, and they're studying it in relation to Alzheimer's and dementia. Uh, in one study on elderly people, DHEA levels jacked up by 95% within a month. Mm. Um, so people with high levels of DHEA might get less viruses, which mm. is important right now, less colds and flus because it's an antiviral. In terms of brain health, it's it's fascinating what it does to your brain. So. They did a study on Buddhist monks who had 20,000 hours of meditation, and they found this almost tumor-like growth in the left prefrontal cortex of the brain. And this is a center that relates to happiness. Mm. And, they, and they looked at these people, and the researchers said, you've got to be the happiest son of a bitch on the planet because <laughs> you, this part of the brain, if it's this large, they'd never seen this off the charts. And that's why the pictures of the Buddha's always smiling, the big mm. bellies, the relaxed bellies. Yeah because there's soft breath and then these big happy smiles because you're just happier. Um, a part of your brain called the amygdala, uh, which enlarges with stress and fear and worry. When you have an enlarged amygdala and you just take yourself off on a holiday, it doesn't shrink down. And I always say to people that you always take yourself wherever you go because this amygdala is always on the lookout for stress and fear and worry. So you go on a holiday and what happens to a lot of stressed people? They end up getting sick because they're always in fear and worry. And then so studies done on the amygdala, even if you take stress out of someone's life, it doesn't shrink back down. But when people meditated, the amygdala shrunk to less than it was basically previous to that. And so they're not not having stress, but they're able to deal with it. It's like water off a duck's back. And then there's a couple of other things which I just find fascinating on, on the research is in terms of aging. So done studies on people who regularly meditate for, say, five years and that their biological age was up to 10, 12, and in some people 27 years younger than they are right now. And they didn't know why, but they've started to realize that these things called telomeres on the ends of our chromosomes and if it's like a photocopy of a photocopy, every time you do it, it gets a little bit less. Every year with stress and inflammation, the telomeres shorten. And so that as we meditate, it's one of the few things that's ever been shown to not only stop telomeres shortening, but actually to reverse it. Yeah. So you, you'll just see in someone who's been meditating for 20 years, they look seriously 20 years younger than someone who's lived a stressed life. Um, this, I, I could go on for hours about the research. It's fascinating. But so much of it comes down to managing inflammation. Mm. So all the money that we spend on uh, beauty products could really just be thrown out the window if we uh, learn to meditate on a more regular basis. Well, do it all, I say. You know, do it all. Do, put your creams on, eat well, drink well, do all your yeah. stuff, be happy. Yeah. But um, you'll definitely turn your frown upside down. And, uh, you, you know, yeah, absolutely. Um, and so with these studies that prove um, changes and positive benefits to our health, whether it be our brain or anti-aging or antiviral, um, is there a minimum amount of time because it's, you know, we're in a busy world uh, and to be able to think, oh, I need to sit down and meditate for two hours uh, every day in order to gain some health benefits, is there a length of time that uh, has been shown as a sort of minimum that people need uh, to be able to gain these benefits? 
Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. And a lot of the studies and the research I just mentioned were done people meditating between 20 and 40 minutes a day for eight weeks. Mm. So for a lot of people that will sound out of reach, like 40 minutes is out of reach initially. 20 minutes, I always challenge a new student that comes to me to learn meditation. I challenge them to go, if you can't find 20 minutes free in your day somewhere, sometime, well, then something's going wrong with your life. Really, I mean, just have a shorter shower, have a shorter meal, switch off Netflix a little bit early. 20 minutes isn't that hard. They are doing studies now on 10-minute meditations, five minutes. I say to people, do whatever you can when you meditate. However, if you really want things to change in your life, change enough in your life that you'll get the change. So initially, I would recommend around the 20 minute mark mm -hmm. is, is a guide for people. And it's fun, you know, like people can see it as a chore initially, oh, I've got to sit and meditate now, another thing to do. But if you think about, if I gave you 20 minutes right now to have a cup of tea, put your feet up and read a magazine, like who wouldn't take that? Mm -hmm. If I said there's a awesome new, super funny show on Netflix and it goes for 20 minutes, you want to watch it with me? Most people would find 20 minutes. Yeah. If I say there's a super awesome show that's going on in your head right now, just sit down, <laughs> close your eyes and just observe all the fun stories and dramas going on in there and choose not to be involved, would you do that? So treat it like a fun exploration and adventure. Mm -hmm. And people, you can start to realize, wow, this is actually, it's like hanging out on the couch watching Netflix with a good friend. Now I'm just sitting down and learning to connect with that good friend inside myself. So 20 minutes is a good guide, but you can lead up to it. Five, 10 minutes is great. Do whatever you can. As my guitar teacher said to me you know, years ago, get your fingers moving on the guitar for five minutes a day is better than not doing it and just doing 30 hours once, 30 minutes once a week. Yeah. Do what you can. So small pieces, but regular is better than nothing. Regular is the key, because that trains the brain up. So even if today you got five minutes, do five. But if you can, just have in mind, I'm going to commit to 20 minutes a day for the next six to eight weeks and just give it a good trial. See what happens. Mm. And I think with my own practice, I initially, I remember thinking 20 minutes is so long to sit. But when you think about it, sitting down and watching TV each night for however long people do that for, um, that's usually a much bigger time frame, isn't it? And we can quite comfortably do that. So it shouldn't be such a challenge, yet somehow there, there seems to be challenges for people. Um, and so I guess if, if you're talking to the audience, if, if people in the audience have never tried meditation before, um, what would be your three sort of key tips if someone's new to meditation and wants to try and thinks, look, I've reached a point in my life, I do need to have some physical and health benefits, um, I need to calm my stress levels, I want to try this, what would be the three things that you would recommend uh, to someone who's never tried meditation mm. before? Yeah, good question. So... The number one thing for me really is before you sit down and do any technique is just to ask yourself, honestly, why do I want to do this? Mm. Number one for me is what's my intention? What's the purpose? What's this going to give me? If the human brain is not motivated by something, either moving away from some pain or towards some pleasure, you're just never going to do it. So I can give you all the fancy schmancy techniques and tell you how to do it. Uh, but if your why isn't there, so I really recommend sitting down, getting out a piece of paper even, writing it down. 
what are the struggles in my life? What are the challenges I'm having? What are the stresses? What are the, what's causing that? Is it too much thinking, too much worrying? What's going on inside? What, what's the pain points that I would love to change? And if I could change them, what would that be like? So if I changed the stress and the worry in my head, what would it be like? What would I like then to move toward? So I start with some of the dramas and the challenges and the problems, write them down, make a list. It might be a mile long for some people, it might be one or two really key things. I've got so much anxiety. I can't sleep. My relationship's going to the toilet. I, I, can't, I can't relate to them anymore, whatever. And then what are the pain points? And then draw an arrow to what would be the benefits? What would be the desired outcome in the next eight weeks when I commit to this practice? So then you've got, thought of, you've, got, you've got the stick and the carrot. You've got something that goes, I want to move away from the pain, but you've got the carrot of what I want to move toward. Mm. And then you turn that into a little affirmation for yourself and remind yourself of that every day. Through this meditation practice, may I experience more ease, more comfort, more joy. Through this practice, may I experience more happiness, more, um, more love, more relaxation, whatever it is, write it down and reflect on it. So number one is actually know your why. If you don't know your why, you won't do it. Mm. Bottom line, it just won't. You need to have enough. As Tony Robbins says, you need to often have enough pain to motivate you to change. Mm. And then the want to needs to turn into a must. I want to change. I need to change. I'm something must change. Mm. Who must change? I must change. You need to turn it to that. Second thing, a lot of people start with an app. Apps can be great because then you can play around with apps like Headspace or Calm or Insight Timer. And then just for a while, be a little bee, buzz around on the all little flowers and, and find things you like. So I recommend that's a good starting point. It's safe. It's guided. It's not mm. scary. Someone else is helping you. Yeah. But number three then is work out what's working and then find a teacher or a guide or a course that can teach you how to do it for yourself. So then what I say is if you always, a lot of people these days get stuck on apps or just listening to all these guided practices, and it's like always having to pay a personal trainer at the gym to crack the whip and motivate you. Because when you're meditating and someone's always guiding you, they're waking you up. When you get distracted, it's their voice that's coming back in and going, okay, let that thought go, focus on your breath. So you never actually develop the willpower, the muscle in your own brain to wake yourself up, to be more present and to not judge. Someone else doing it for you. So start with that, but then you want to learn how to do it for yourself. And most people these days aren't doing their meditation for themselves. You want to learn to just sit down, close your eyes and be a good friend to yourself. Just sit and be comfortable in your own skin. And when you can transition to that, then you know you've got this practice forever. Mm. Like what happens if you're super anxious and your Wi-Fi drops out and you just need to meditate? You know what to do. Mm. And then lastly, I'd say find a teacher or a course or something that teaches you the steps. And the, the main steps are do a little something to start a meditation practice that settles all the craziness out of your mind. Move your body, shake the tension out, do some long breathing just to settle the storm. Choose something you're going to center your attention on, which might be your breathing, soft breathing, and then shift to the sounds, shift to the sensations. Just choose one thing at a time. 
And then just give yourself some moments in a practice where you just forget about everything you're doing, everything about your life, and just give yourself a minute or two just to rest, just to let your mind get still. Mm-hmm. Don't worry about, am I doing this right? Am I not doing this right? Just close your eyes and enjoy being with yourself. Like you've invited your best friend into your house and you're just sitting there quietly enjoying each other's company. You're actually learning just to enjoy your own company. All the thoughts, all the feelings, just hold a space for it all to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and then lastly, I suggest to people, once you've developed that lovely friendship, that stillness and that presence, then ask yourself, if I could be any way today, how do I want to go back into the world? And then maybe choose a state. I want to feel more grateful. I want to feel more happy. I want to feel more kind. And then just choose a few things to focus on at the end of a meditation that makes you feel grateful, Mm -hmm. that makes you feel happy. Mm -hmm. And then charge your body with good feelings. So get rid of the chaos, shake it out, breathe deeply, center your attention on your breath for say five, 10 minutes, and then just let it all go, be still, just let yourself be, enjoy just sitting quietly, and then lastly, choose maybe gratitude or happiness. Mm. You can do that in 10 minutes. You can do that in 20 minutes. That's the formula I teach people. It's a four-step formula. And it mm. just gives a structure to how you can do this comfortably with confidence. Mm. That's great advice. Um, and so um, to sort of wrap up today, I guess I'd like to know a little bit more about where um, listeners can find out more about you. And I understand that you run some meditation retreats and also teacher training as well. Uh, tell us about a little bit about that. Yeah, so I have three levels of training that I offer to people. And the first is an online course that I put together. It's a five-week course that it's got all these guided meditations, but what it does is it teaches you that structure. Mm-hmm. And a little every week, you just add a little on and you develop you know, breath awareness, body awareness, heart-based meditations. And eventually at the end of that five weeks, you feel really confident to do it yourself. That's an online training you can do at your own pace, but also for that in live um, like Zoom sessions where you can get on and be part of a community. So that's run regularly. And then I do meditation retreats every year, four-day retreats. Mm. I find people that stick with meditation are those that often come and do a retreat mm. because when you do a retreat, you just, one, you face a lot of your fears and doubts. Mm. But two, you just really get the benefit of the practice. You get these little moments on a retreat where you just feel so good, so clear, so happy. And you go, man, I want to live like this all the time. And I'm not prepared to live another day without this feeling. So it gives you a real taste. So that's why I love doing retreats. You've done a number of them with me. And and this game changes for people. Mm -hmm. And then lastly, I teach people to become teachers of meditation. So do meditation teacher training. And all that's on my website, beingyoga.com.au, and you can find all about those different programs there. I've also got a book I've written, so people often start with that Calm Living book as well. Ah, fantastic. Well, that's great information. I really appreciate you spending some time to share your wisdom with everybody here uh, who's listening. So thanks very much, Michael, and all of your information will be uh, on our podcast information script. Great. Okay. Lovely to be here. Thanks. If you like what you've heard, it'd be great if you could rate and review this podcast from wherever you are listening. And don't forget to click subscribe so you'll be notified when we release our next episode.